Amen. Good evening. Um, we are going to be continuing our study as we progress all the way through the Bible book by book. Tonight, of course, is 2 Kings. We did 1 Kings last week. Uh, we left off our study, just as a recap for those of you who weren't with us, and, and uh, kind of for the benefit of, of getting into 2 Kings, uh, we left off our study at the end of 1 Kings last week with this really incredible, um, really remarkable event happening as the uh, nation had drifted farther and farther and farther from God. God, of course, would send a prophet, prophet Elijah, and he would use this prophet to draw the nation back to himself. And um, we, we had this showdown of sorts. We had a showdown between King Ahab, who, as you may recall, he was the worst of the, all the kings that preceded him. He is just, uh, he had led the nation so far from God with Baal worship. And, and, and so th there's Ahab, this evil king. And then there's Ahab, this weather god, little g-god. And then there were the 450 prophets of Baal. And it was all of them versus Elijah and God. You may recall Elijah stood alone. He, he begged and, and plead, didn't beg. He pleaded with the nation of Israel and he stood alone. And uh, uh, God revealed himself. He revealed himself in a, in a really powerful, powerful way. And uh, it was more than just a powerful way. He revealed himself in an incredibly meaningful way. Uh, he, he brought fire down from the heavens to consume that bull offering. As you may recall, the bull offering was uh, at the time of the evening sacrifice. And so we have the bull offering, we have the evening sacrifice, we have uh, uh, this, this offering as a sin offering for the nation, uh, for the nation of Israel. Uh, and you may recall what the people said. You know, we had the people there and the, the ones who were once silent, you know, Elijah's He's, he says, how long will you falter between two opinions? And there's a response to him was silence. They didn't say anything. But when they saw this, when they saw the fire come down from heaven and consume this sin offering, you may recall they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. One would think, you know, after such an incredible event, right? You would think that after this this crazy miracle of an event that it would serve as this pivot point in the history of, of the nation of Israel, a nation going so far in this direction in error, you, you would think that they would only turn from this and, and begin drawing near to God. Uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be a failure in thought to think that after this event happening that, that evil king Ahab uh, you know, it wouldn't be a failure to, to think that he would, sh he would begin to show some genuine repentance uh, after, after this. And, you know, that he would tear down all those idols, that he would lead the nation back to God. You, you wouldn't be too off base to think that the book of Second Kings uh, would begin with a nation just full of humility. Uh, that it would be a nation full of repentance. That you would have this nation just full of reverence for God. But instead, what we get is probably some of the most difficult passages to read in all of the Old Testament. Uh, we get, uh, we're going to look at one of them in particular tonight that's uh, not safe for the little ears. Uh, it's, a, it's a, really bad, uh, a really bad story just to show how far the nation had drifted away from God. We'll, we'll also look at one of the most shocking passages, not in a grotesque way, but just a shocking passage. When you read it, you'll just be like, what? 
and uh, and we'll look at that one tonight. And and um, you know, we'll, ultimately, what we'll see is the fall of Israel, the, the northern tribes. Uh, you'll see the fall of Judah, the southern tribe, the line of David. And ultimately, what we'll see in reading the the kind of the thread that's woven throughout is that our holy God absolutely cannot be in the presence of sin. And um, this is going to take us to our first icebreaker question, which is on your table. Question number one is this, and this is uh, just for thought, just to get the the thoughts going and to get the discussion going. Uh, After the nation of Israel saw such an incredible miracle, they proclaimed, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. But they and the kings continued doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. Why do you think they wouldn't turn from their evil ways? Let's take three to five minutes to the kind of icebreaker question to discuss it amongst yourselves, and then we'll come back together.
Okay, so tonight what we're going to be doing is, uh, is uh, we're going to break up 2 Kings into three parts, little kind of bite-sized chunks, I guess you could say. We're going to have um, part one is going to be the rise of El- the prophet Elisha. And um, uh, part two is going to be the fall of Israel. And then um, part three, of course, is the fall of, of Judah. And to do so, um, what we're going to be doing is briefly discussing the rise of Elisha by looking at, at some of his miracles. And then we're going to look at one of the story from Israel and read about one of the kings in Israel. And then we're going to read a story in Judah and um, kind of the shocking story, the one that's like, what? Are you kidding me? And then we're, we're going to look at two kings, um, uh, the two kings of Judah. Second Kings begins with the story of Elisha. Uh, Elisha is um, uh, kind of the protege. Some, some say Elisha. Elisha. I say Elisha because then you can't tell if I'm saying Elijah or Elisha. So I'll say Elisha so you know who I'm talking about. It's a dude. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we're, we're, uh, he's the successor protege prophet to Elijah, uh, the, the uh, Ahab uh, prophet. Uh, the calling of Elisha is a, a really cool story. It actually happens at the end of First Kings. And uh, what we'll read is uh, we see Elisha plowing this field with, a, with an ox and uh, Elijah walks up to him and Elijah takes off his cloak and he throws it over top of him. And it's, it's signifying that the responsibilities, like this is now your job. You know, th- this is, was my job. This is now your job. It's signifying that the responsibilities of Elijah's ministry are going to fall upon Elisha, the prophet. And um, basically what he's saying is you're going to fill my shoes, Elijah's saying, you're being called into ministry and you're going to fill my shoes. But then something really cool happens. What we see is Elisha, he, he slaughters the oxen and um, he burns his, uh, he, he burns his uh, plow and then he cooks the meat of the oxen, gives it to the people. And it's almost like when you read it, it doesn't come right out and say it, but when you read this, it's like he's saying that there's no going back. You know, the, the way of life that, that Elisha once had is now gone. And there's no, there's, you know, absolutely no going back. You see, when he discovered, uh, when he discovered that he was being called into ministry, he took away his other option. He's, and, and really in a lot of ways, what this does is it speaks to the heart. If this is what God wants for me, then that's what I'm going to do. If he doesn't want this, then I'm done with that. I'm going in this direction now. And, and it speaks to the heart of who, who he really was. He sold out. He's a prophet sold out for Yahweh, for God, and he's all in. Um, when we read through the first seven chapters or so of, of um, Second Kings, we see a prophet who is um, who, who really loves Elijah, almost like he's a father figure in a lot of ways. Um, tonight, what we're going to, or, or sorry, uh, there, there's this passage um, in, at the beginning of Second Kings. Um, where he's refusing to leave Elijah. And um, Eli- this is before Elijah's taken up into heaven and Elisha's refusing to leave him. And Elijah allows him to stay with him. And then he asks him this question. And Elijah says, what do you want? Get, tell me what you want from me and I'll give it to you. And, and he says, well, you know, I want a double portion of, of your spirit. And basically what Elijah is saying is what do you want to jumpstart your ministry? What, do you, what can I do to jumpstart your ministry? And he's saying, I want a double portion of your spirit. Really kind of odd request when you read it. Um, but it, what we see is that um, Elijah telling Elisha that if Elijah saw him being swept up and taken into heaven, that he would get it. 
And so Elisha witnesses this. He sees this chariot of fire come down, um, sees uh, horses of fire come down in like a whirlwind and take Elijah off to heaven. And his ministry begins. And his ministry begins like right off the bat with this miracle. You, we see that, that cloak. Well, the cloak was being worn by, by Elijah when he was called, taken up into heaven. It had fallen on the ground and Elisha picks it up and he walks over to the Jordan River and he, he strikes the water and the waters part. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because previously we see Elijah parting these waters. And so it, it's almost like a sign to the people that Elijah's spirit was indeed upon Elisha. Uh, and, and, you know, we see Elisha, pour, he performs many miracles in the first seven chapters of Second Kings. Many of these miracles that we see, they are really, really close to a lot of the miracles that Jesus performed. And in a lot of ways, a lot, a lot of uh, commentaries that, that you'll read, they'll, they'll point to these and say it's almost like a foreshadowing of Jesus's miracles. And a couple examples, he raised a boy from the dead. Reminds us of Lazarus, reminds us of, of uh, uh, the daughter of the centurion. Um, he multiplied 20 loaves of bread to feed 100 men. Reminds us of the feeding of the 4,000. Reminds us of the feeding of the 5,000. Um, he cured Naaman of leprosy. It reminds us of Jesus' healing of the 10 lepers. But he, he also performed other miracles. There's one where he floated an axe head uh, that had fallen in the river. Uh, and then my, one of my favorite miracles that he performed is when he multiplied the, the widow's oil. Everybody open your Bibles to 2 Kings. And then we're going to go to chapter 4. And we're going to go to verse 1. And it says this. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, tell me what you have in your house. Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour the oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. And they brought the jars to her and, kept, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live off of what is left. And this takes us to our second question. There are several things that stand out in this passage. And what I'd like for you to do is discuss with your group some of the things that stand out to you. And then take three to five minutes and then we'll come back together.
We'll read in the New Testament that uh, widows have a special place in God's heart. And we know that our God is a God of provision. We know he is a God of resupply. We know that he's a God that provides for our every need. And I, I love this passage. One of the things that really stands out to me, there are several things that stand out, but just to share one of the things that some of you may have, may have discussed at your tables is when the oil stopped flowing. I just love that. The oil didn't stop flowing until they ran out of jars. Man, how cool is that, right? You know, I just think like, well, man, she should have tried harder to get more jars. <laughs> you know, it's just, that is, you know, it, when, when we read this passage, it's not that she was the only one that was suffering. Um, you know, if you were to read through Kings, you'd see that the whole nation is suffering. And the suffering is really... Uh, it's been going on for quite some time, um, but it's about to get really wor a whole lot worse. Um, shifting gears now, we're going to look at one of the, one of the, in my opinion, probably the most horrible story in all of the Old Testament. Um, as we have read the nation, uh, you know, and as we've discussed, it's been drifting farther and farther and farther and farther away from God. And, and what we've seen as we've read through, th read through, you know, there's a, always a discussion as to, you know, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. No, not really. I mean, there's a lot of patience. There is a ton of grace. You know, as you read through Kings, I mean, gosh, it goes through hundreds of years that God is patient and sending prophet after prophet after prophet, trying to draw his people back to him. And what we see in turn is bad king after bad king after bad king after bad king from the appointing of priests who weren't from the, uh, from the, Levite, the tribe of the Levites um, to the building of high places um, to um, the, the practice of idolatry to the worshiping of other gods, little g-gods um, to the persecution of God's prophets uh, to child sacrifice I mean, we could go on and on and on talking about how bad things were getting. Um, everybody turn with me to the left. We're going to go to Deuteronomy, and we're going to go to chapter 28 in Deuteronomy, and we're going to take it right at the top, verse 1. And this is Moses speaking to the people after he has, you know, written the law of Moses, after it was handed down to him, and he's... He's talking to the people, and what he's fixing to do is talk about all of the blessings that will happen to them if they do one thing. But if they do go the other way, all of the curses that will come upon them. Basically, it's your choice, a God of free will. Do, do what you will, but know the repercussions of your decisions, right? And, and so um, verse 1 says this, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all other nations on earth. We see this when he talks to the kings. We see this when David, remember, and we'll talk about this in just a little bit. Do you remember when David uh, speaks to Solomon 
And he gives him, be, be careful to follow all of the, the decrees and the commands of our God. Well, this is, you know, this is where it comes from. These, these are repeated over and over again. Drop down to verse 15. So between verse 1 and 15 are all of the blessings. Verse 15, it says, However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees that I am giving you today, all of these curses will come on you and overtake you. And then it goes on for verse after verse after verse after verse, pages, a couple pages worth of curses. I want you to drop down with me to verse 53. Verse 53 says this, because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of the womb, the flesh of the sons and daughters the Lord your God has given you. Drop down to verse 57, about maybe halfway through 57b. Uh, For in her dire need, she intends to eat them secretly because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege of your cities. Now flip back over to 2 Kings. And we're going to go to chapter 6, and we're going to go to verse 24. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. And it says this. <clears throat> Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city, and the siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of cab of seed pods sold for five shekels. Basically inflation galore. You know, it's just horrible, horrible time. And there's famine throughout the land. Money's basically worthless because there's just nothing. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, if the Lord does not help you, where can I get your help for you? From the threshing floor, from the wine press? Then he asked her, what's the matter? And she answered him, the woman said to me, give up your son so we may eat him today and tomorrow we'll eat my son. We cooked my son and we ate him. And the next day I said to her, give up your son so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. <laughs> What's clear in this passage is that all sense of morality has left the people. All sense of morality has been lost upon the people of Israel. The thing that's so incredible in this passage is that she killed, she cooked, and ate a child. But the fascinating thing and the incredible thing is what she thought was the wrong thing here. You know, it it wasn't that she killed and ate a child that was wrong. What was wrong was that the other woman didn't reciprocate. This is how far and how evil this nation had gotten in the presence of a holy, holy God that cannot stand sin. This is what's happening in this nation. You know, this loss of morality just shows you how far from God, you know, they really are. It's right around this time, with this going on in the nation of Israel. This is what's happening in the nation of Israel. It's right around this time that Elisha comes back. And Elisha, he, he summons a prophet to go and anoint Jehu. He's an army commander. And he anoints him to be the next king in Israel. And this is what the prophet says to Jehu. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 6. It says this. Jehu got up and went into the house. The prophet poured oil on Jehu's head and declared, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. 
I anoint you king over the Lord's people. You are, to, you are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off Ahab from every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. And for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and he ran. And as we continue reading, what we'll see is Jehu goes, and he kills King Joram of Israel. And then Jehu goes, and he kills King Ahaziah of of Judah. And then he goes, and he kills Jezebel. And then the 70 sons of Ahab, he wipes out the house of Ahab. And you're reading this, and you're thinking, holy cow, finally, we got a king who's going to right the ship. We got a king who's going to get him right back to God. He's doing everything that God says. And then he goes, and he, he orchestrates this, this thing where he brings all the ministers of Baal, the, the weather god. He brings all of these ministers of Baal into the temple, and he, the temple of Baal. And he's, he says, I too am a worshiper of Baal. And he brings them all in. And he says, if you're, if you're a worshiper of Baal and you're not here, then, you know, we'll come after you. So everybody comes in there. And then he, he wipes out all of the ministers of Baal. And then he ta- tears down the temple of Baal. And then he burns the sacred stone of Baal. But then the scriptures say this. Go to 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 31. It says this. Yet Jehu was not careful to keep the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. You see, God is requiring a king to uphold the covenant that he had with David. Remember the instructions that David gave Solomon before his death? Walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees, keep his commands, keep his laws, keep his regulations as written in the law of Moses. And that's really important, as written in the law of Moses. Remember that because we'll come back to it here in just a couple minutes. Do this so that you will prosper in whatever you do and wherever you go. And after some time had passed, God finally had enough. And God exiled the people of Israel to Assyria. And this takes us to question number three. Question three is this. I want you to read 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 7 through 23. And then why do you think the passage begins with reference to being brought out of Egypt from under the Pharaoh's rule? Take three to five minutes, maybe a little bit more, and then we'll come back and we'll go to the next section.